Twice a week, Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay dissect the biggest topics in Black culture, politics, and sports on their show, Higher Learning. They discuss the most important and timely conversations while also frequently inviting guests on the podcast and occasionally debating each other. Check out Higher Learning on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. I need sports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan and I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, my one true podcast partner. It's Aww. Andy Greenwald! Thank you for digging deep for that last... Is this the last one of the year? For us. I mean, like we're for- recording it before we will record more episodes, but yes, yeah, this we, is... We this block is the- shoot the podcast. That's, <laughs> That's a little right. insider talk. Um, I would say to our loyal friends and listeners whom we adore and we are grateful for i feel like the vibes today are like episode three of the north water you know what i mean like no spoilers but the captain might not be here anymore yeah right um there might be some people locked below in the brig i don't know which of us feels like we've been stuffed into a barrel more but you know i just feel like uh we're ready for a break yeah this will be the last one of the year so we have done uh we're recording this uh, on Friday, December 17th. and But we wanted to do one more pod for the rest of the year. So we asked for some mailbag questions. And and as ever, our listeners, they obliged us. Uh, and um, Andy, before we get into it, you know, I uh, just wanted to say another wonderful year podcasting with you. I totally. thought um, this, this was almost a return to form year for you. I thought 2021. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Is this my exit interview? Okay, I'm I'm here for it. Kai, don't you yeah. think Andy was good this year? Yeah, I feel like he watched a lot of TV this year. He watched a lot, and I felt like Aww, he was mom really, and dad. yeah, and he had really good takes, and that was so. I was oh, going to say 
The first question we got here is from Jeremy Abrams, and he wanted to know which one of us is the most maniacal in their preparation for pods, otherwise known as the Jeremy Strong Award. Wow. Well, first of all, thank you for the implicit assumption that we prepare for pods. That is just a testament to, I don't want to say our hard work, but to our um, years of bluffing professionalism. I think there's no question. I mean, this is an easy one. And I'm only stalling um, because, you know, the answer is Chris. Chris prepares more. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I definitely, yeah. I mean, I to put it in succession terms, Chris thinks this is Hamlet and I think this is a sitcom. Yeah, I think that's fair. I don't have, so like prep-wise, it's funny. I definitely think that you can chart the uh, deterioration of my mind over the last five or six years where... There was a time when I used to podcast and I basically would just have whatever was going to happen. It was yeah. either off the top or like I would have mental notes that I would remember. It was also different because I think we used to do a podcast that was a little bit more focused on single episodes of television at any given yes. moment. So it's a little bit more difficult when we're doing two, three topics, doing, doing just industry talk, just try to get a feel for the town and yeah. a feel, feel for the vibes out there. But when it was just like what happened on Homeland last night, more often than not, I could pr pretty much remember what I wanted to say. And then next thing I knew, we would been talking for 40 minutes. But as I get older, your boy needs to <laughs> have a couple post-its up. <laughs> you know, I, I wish one of the things that I think makes our, our show enjoyable, both for us and the listeners, is there's an air of spontaneity. So I don't want to push us into the realm of recreation, but I do wish our listeners could hear the exact way you said, did you take notes after our first succession pod? <laughs> because you were a little surprised. Now I used to, I think, I think what you said is true that like, if we are specifically deep diving an episode as we did this year with succession or when we did top chef, mm -hmm. I scribble, I scribble stuff down for sure. But I have found it really more exciting, honestly, this is, you know, what it's all about is as you advance in your career, you want to keep the game fresh. Sure. Right? Yeah. Um, to experience something, watch something, kind of understand the shape of my reaction to it, and then just see what happens when we're on mic together. Because you, you know, I, it, it, the conversation is what's exciting. And, and I say this often on the show, people know this, that before he was uh, America's best podcaster, Chris Ryan was America, or at least New York City's, uh, best friend to sit in a bar with because the conversation flows, <laughs> yeah. right? And, 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 and you, you would, you, the, the same abilities that are now your profession and your job, the ability to be both host and facilitator and also high energy guy coming off the bench, those were in full flower even then in the old days. And I think that I am excited to share ideas with you and then you, you pivot them in other directions. So, so what I'm saying is my, Culkin-esque process mm -hmm. shines in under the harsh, I'm going to admit it, harsh light of your Jeremy Strong-esque charisma. I only wish podcasts were more like New York bars in 2003 because uh, for a variety of reasons, but most of all, because they would be like six minutes long because I would come in and yeah. I would be like, yo, did you see that last night? Hold on, I'm going to have a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> And then 35 minutes it's, later, it's true. I really like, oh, bumped into somebody out there. Sorry. Um, 
Yeah, it's funny. I I think that it, all podcasts are basically like a, a study in in foils. So like, if I'm with somebody who really prepares mm-hmm. a lot, like I always kind of when we would do Game of Thrones with Mal and Jason, I would pretty oh, much yeah. let it rip because they were so prepared. With you, I are, always know you have the you have incredible takes and opinions, and you're so articulate. But for some reason, I find that I need to at least have the roadmap of where we're going. So it's it's really funny. It's it depends on who you're doing it with. With Sean, I just try to like, you know, I just try to like find my voice, you know, and then just scream that voice at him. You just try to razz him. I mean, yeah. you're 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 Lance Stevenson blowing in his ear, right? <laughs> that's like right. That's, that that's what you do on those podcasts. Um, I appreciate the question, though, Jeremy. We don't often talk about the behind the scenes of this podcast, which is probably because it's not do, very interesting. But Kaya, still. do you do you do you keep the audio files of the five minutes before we record where we ask each other if we have any opinions about anything and what should we talk about today? That would be damning. Yeah, I keep them all in a folder that I'll release once I'm done working on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> For when? Yeah, it's like it, it's a dead man switch that if, yeah. if and when you ever leave the podcast, that gets released. I, I I also think speaking of tones that I've come to really love and treasure, uh, when we finish and we wrap up, and then we I don't even we've never been asked to do this, but this is just what innate professionals we are. I think Chris and I usually like leave like five six seconds of dead air before we're like, oh okay, all right, that was a good one, and then Kaya comes on the mic and it's like, wow, that was pretty good, and there's this there's a set which is very nice of you, but there's Absolutely. You can't fake it. There is a genuine sense of surprise that we somehow pulled off 54 minutes, <laughs> you know, That's which, true. which I like. I think that keeps us on our toes. All right. So I have t- the next two questions. One's a little bit backward looking and one's a little bit forward looking. Uh, the backward looking mm-hmm. one. And I figured we had a couple of questions in and around this. And we've obviously talked about it a lot for the last two years. But Daniel Berkowitz asked, uh, to what extent do you think the pandemic may have contributed to or accelerated TV dominating the cultural conversation over movies, or was that war already won? Do you ever see movies taking back the crown? I'm going to take Daniel's question and I'm going to go in a slightly different direction with it. I, uh, because I, I think that sometimes the questions are very much written for the people who are going to answer them. So of course you and I would say like, ah, yes, TV, where, where, where everybody has been stuck at home watching all these shows for two years and now, now television has become the sort of dominant cultural force. And I do agree with that to some extent, but I think that uh, even in the two years that we've been doing this, I have noticed that the conversation around shows has just become so much more compartmentalized, you know, and that you, you, you know, we will get interested in a show or maybe mm-hmm. like, quote unquote, throw our weight behind something if we're really passionate about it. And with very few exceptions, and I think we saw this with Succession, people may be really grateful for it and they'll be like, oh, cool, I'll, I'll listen to these episodes you guys did about this show when I watch it. Or, uh, you know, once I catch up or, or whatever. But it's hard to find something that many people are watching. And you'll probably never find something as popular as Spider-Man No Way Home. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's a good way to look at it. I, I think that from a some takes that we've used at different times throughout the year, just, just sort of like the, to recap it, I think that the answer is no. The, the, the pandemic has shifted the pendulum perhaps completely so, but also the industry shifted itself because I agree, there is no one television show on the horizon that will ever be as, have as massive a cultural footprint as Spider-Man, the new Spider-Man movie is having this weekend that we're recording it. Right. Um, That said, Spider-Man movie is kind of TV too. 
because it's part of a larger ongoing serialized story. Uh-huh. There are inevitably characters, and I, this is no spoilers, we haven't seen it yet. Uh, there are definitely, there's definitely a character in it that is going to be on a Disney Plus Marvel show soon, or maybe already has been. There are potential spinoffs from it, you know, so it is connected to that larger way of understanding stories. And I just think that's where we're at. Like, there's something about these things going on forever, or at least for nine to 10 weeks. So it kind of consumes us and we can keep talking about it and pushing it forward. And, and what's next? What's next? What's next? That mimics the way that we get our news on the Twitter feed, right? Or like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, it's, it's the endless scroll. That's how, that's what, that's, I don't know, I don't want to say that's how we want things, but that's how appetites have shifted. And I think the idea of everything coming to a stop to appreciate a closed circuit of a brilliantly made film. And then, you know, I'm, I'm picturing, you know, like the, the erudite academics wearing patches on their sleeves from like a 1983 Woody Allen movie, then like talking about it at cafe, whatever cafe Luxembourg (laughs) in the Upper West Side up until the Oscars happen. Sure. That more genteel era of just, of that's what it means for a movie to matter has shifted. Because I also think as the last part of that, in the framing of the question, will movies reclaim the crown? Well, what what was the crown then? Mm-hmm. Like when movies were a big deal, certainly when we were kids, but 20 years ago, they weren't the end-all be-all of adult life. And I don't even mean that to sound pejorative. I just mean that like when we were kids, Star Wars and Karate Kid or whatever, like we we Back to the Future, we talked about it. We thought hoverboards were real. We played games, but like, we saw it in the movie theater, maybe a couple times, and then it went away. And then maybe we could rent it in six months to a year. Yeah. And then we that, that would be it. it. It's fundamentally different because the, the work of a successful uh, film, culturally dominating film, wasn't to dominate all aspects of human life for one to nine weeks. It's just there were other things to do, or at least in my memory, there, were, there was just things where you, did, you just didn't do things. Right. 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 What did we do? Well, I mean, we just I just think sat I sat in our rooms. I, I think that because of the, I, you know, these last two years, if you really want to know what like dominated the conversation, it's not necessarily a piece of content or a plat or a or a medium like film or television. I think it's probably a lot of people listening to this podcast would probably say their phones and whatever yeah. that meant, whether it was Instagram or whether it was. Uh, scrolling through Twitter and kind of getting involved in whatever subgenre of of social media they wanted to be a part of or TikTok or whatever, for the most part, like I can't do anything about my screen time. You know what I mean? Like I can I can put my phone in a microwave, and as long as I don't turn the microwave on, I can leave it out of the room when I go to sleep and and not pick it up until after I've kind of had my coffee or something. But more or less, something happens. <laughs> almost every day that makes me deeply engaged with my phone to the point of really feeling terrible about my, my life. But that Shout is out like young Fan, the great New Yorker writer who posted on Instagram recently, how she, while trying to microwave a midnight snack of kanji at 3am with writer's block, realized six seconds in that she had kept the kanji in her hand and put her iPhone in the microwave <laughs> and then went to the Apple store and they just didn't believe her because no one had ever actually done that. Let so, me tell you, it's, Highly believable. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, yeah, I, I think that what you're saying is is a really a really good point because even when a movie has, I think, 
met the threshold or the criteria to be considered dominating, you know, in a way, in a, in a non-Marvel movie. Like, let's look back to Jordan Peele's movie, Get Out, mm-hmm. right? Which which was a hugely important film. It was a hugely, but before it was that, it was a hugely entertaining film and it was a deeply, deeply popular film in the coolest way, in that it was so exciting that people were talking about it and you had to go see it and then you could talk about it and then you kept talking about it. But what kept it afloat at a certain point ceased being going to see the movie. It was, I got to understand these memes. And then I got to understand the reaction to the memes and to the reactions to the reactions to the movie. And it fed a different type of conversation that filtered in from cultural conversation into political conversation and news. And it, it felt deeply connected to all the different, um, back then we didn't subscribe to Substacks, did we? <laughs> no. All the way back so. then, but, but all the different, uh, cultural channels or, or just channels that yeah. we are following yeah. in our life. It's yeah, it, it's phone, it's phone driven and yeah. you can watch TV shows on your phone and also talk about them. Do you ever watch TV shows on your phone? No, 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 no. I, I only watch uh, Christopher Nolan films on my phone because <laughs> I'm a deeply petty person. <laughs> um, so on a slightly more like upbeat note, because I feel like whenever we talk about the last two years or about like the technological and cultural shifts, it sounds a little bit uh Doomsplaining, but Rory Langdon asked, do you have any predictions about what shows will hold the belt throughout 2022? And we haven't really talked about the belt that much. I think obviously Succession had it. I th- Which is I weird would... because all the other recurring bits we've introduced over the last 10 years in this we've podcast, so good we bang them out. We hit them, we hit them, we hit them. <laughs> remember who won the week? That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. You remember, remember structure? <laughs> just like having it. I don't mean the store, which I also remember from the 90s. So Rory asks, and then this is a place where we can talk a little bit about 2022. And, you know, I alluded to this, I think, when did I talk about, when did we talk about this? Maybe Station Eleven. I can't remember what conversation we were having, but I, oh, we were talking about West Side Story the other day. And I was talking about this list of 2022 shows that I had been sort of studying and about how blatantly obvious, like there, there was just like 45 movies among these shows that would have been movies in yeah. 2005, you know, or 2010 even. And some of these shows are returning. Some of these shows are new. Some of these shows have the uh, baked in legacy of, of being part of like a larger universe. But I kind of identified, I don't know, one, two, three, seven here that I think mm-hmm. might be pretty significant. It's Atlanta, which is uh, returning with season three um, set in, I think, broadly speaking, Europe, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe mostly England. Um, the final season of Better Call Saul, which has been delayed for some time because of uh, COVID, but I think that show has developed enough of like a kind of wave of interest because of its it, it, you know easily accessible streaming uh, mm-hmm. library. House of the Dragon, which is the Game of, Game of Thrones prequel. Uh, Lord of the Rings, obviously. The Last of Us, Stranger Things and Masters of the Air, which is the Kerry Fukunaga, Tom Hanks, uh, World War II, Pacific Band of Brothers, the, the, the latest in that. So there's a couple of reasons why I picked these specific shows, some of which are just because we talk about them a lot or some of which because yeah. I know how much people love them. I'm also starting to get a little suspicious that anything that's not on Netflix, HBO, or I guess Amazon can truly pop. Has anything on Amazon truly popped? Not really, but this will be it if it is, right? I, I, I think. I, I mean, think they seem they seem very happy with what Wheel of Time is doing, but like. Oh yeah, no, I don't mean that they're not doing well and they haven't made good shows. I mean, I had two Prime Video shows on my top ten 
of the year list in, mm -hmm. in um, Pursuit of Love and Underground Railroad. But I just mean, I, I think that you are right. It, worth, it is definitely worth looking at whether the framework that you and I use on this podcast to determine popularity or relative cultural penetration of things, it's, if it's even possible for something that's not on Netflix, Disney, or HBO, I would say. Yeah, those are the, the standard bearers for that. It's, it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, so of those, which, which are the ones that you're most excited about? Well, I'll, as, as, as is my want, I will answer that question, that relatively innocuous, straightforward question in two ways. Um, one, in the spirit of the, 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 the original listener question, like which of these will have the belt in terms of like which show will kind of own the moment and own the conversation, not just on our show, our podcast, I have to look to Better Call Saul. And maybe that's the, the old head in me that mm. still just wants one last hit of that 2012 magic but um this is the last season of that show yeah and the momentum of a vince gilligan show heading into the home stretch is a really special thing and mm -hmm. i don't mean it's peter gould co-created it with vince gilligan i don't want to give him short shrift but just in terms of shows from this creative creative pocket this is when they excel and this is when you at least historically really see the returns on all those years of people catching up not linearly mm -hmm. uh, that you were referring to of, 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 of binging it and, and, and on, on Netflix and, and watching it at their own pace. But for the final season, because people have FOMO, they're going to, they might just find their cable subscriptions again to, to get into it. And that's really, it's really exciting. You know, I will talk about it when the show comes up, but I'm excited about the show because I love it. And it's so much fun to watch and all that. But I'd be lying if I didn't say there was just a piece of that old, that old here we go magic. Like I, I, I'm really into it becoming definitive in that way. And people watching it and getting hyped and amped up and surprised. Like that's going to be a lot of fun. In terms of which show, which of these that I'm most looking forward to. And by the way, I noticed that you didn't include any uh, of the other Disney stuff. Like there's like no. Oh, like uh, Obi-Wan stuff like that. Yeah, Marvel show or a Star Wars show that that. that might I gotta be tell you something. Let me let me yeah. throw a little bit of a Cholula at you here. Mm. Spicy, mm -hmm. but it's it's palatable. Can they ever top what happened in Mandalorian season two? In terms of like a zeitgeist? disappointing me. <laughs> no, a yes, zeitgeist, they can. A zeitgeist capturing moment like that. I know. Fool me once. I'm sure that oh if, yes, if Obi Wan can. Kenobi fights Anakin Skywalker or Darth Vader or whatever, like. People will freak out, but like earmuffs anybody who hasn't watched Mandalorian season two. They they brought that dude back as a young man and he yeah. whipped ass. And and that was like for a day or however long, people were just like, This is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. What an amazing show. I'm so happy that I like that that Star Wars exists. Do you think that they can do that again with like I mean, I'm not saying these shows wouldn't be good. I just mean like in terms of their their cultural dominance. Yes, I think so. I think that it's a unique, it's slightly unique because the character that you're referring to that was brought back is the character. It's the Ur character, right? Yeah, and right. So that was a huge, huge deal. But I also think you can't divorce the impact of that moment from the two years of, frankly, delightful momentum mm -hmm. that The Mandalorian uh, had. You know, it the second season appeared like a year after the first season there that we didn't there you know there were no covid breaks that we saw it just 
the first season surprised everyone. It was really good. And the second season surprised everyone more because it was better. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that was a really nice capper of that, you know, <laughs> the the more innocent era of Star Wars on TV where we were like, oh, maybe it's going to be good. And maybe it'll continue to be good. But I feel like that was as pure as Baby Yoda himself. Right. To your other point, I think it was an instructive lesson that we haven't fully seen how it's going to play out for all of these major Disney properties and maybe, you know, for the Lord of the Rings, all these legacy IP properties, which is, yeah, you want to use the opportunities of the TV show and the creative community you now have access to, 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 to try some new stuff, you know, um, not on your list is, is Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke and Moon Knight. And like, mm-hmm. maybe that's going to be awesome. Yeah. Or I'm maybe sure. it's not. Yeah. But we don't know. Um, but there's opportunity to try new things, but they, what they also know, and this is just, this is Disney. Like this is core. This is like engraved in old redwood bark next to where Walt's frozen head is in Bob Iger's office that he claims he's retiring from, but there's a secret passage behind the bookshelf and he just has another office behind there. Um, which is, you know, you own this shit and people love it. Did you see Bob Iger do the weather the other day? Yeah. What a king. Yeah, he was just like, it's 63 in the Southland. <laughs> and it's always sunny wherever I am. Um, what I mean is, if if a, if the Marvel Cinematic Universe on TV ever starts to flounder, like, Tom Holland will emerge wearing the Spider-Man costume, doing his umbrella dance from that lip sync show. You know what I mean? Like, they can pull in the biggest yeah. guns. And, and just this past week, I hope you still have your earmuffs on. I, I won't spoil it, but... On Hawkeye, a, I'm sorry, extremely minor character in the scheme of things, not in the scheme of like Marvel comics over the decades, a major character, a major villain, but a character that I refuse to believe is as fiercely beloved and discussed as like the screen rant SEO headlines would allow it would lead us to believe uh-huh. returned. And I'm only bringing this up because at least the coverage of it which I, you know, may or may not be representative of how people feel, but it, it often can be, was absolutely apeshit. Yeah. And I was like, for, you were serious about that? Like for that? You're yeah. doing it for that? So imagine what it would be like. My point is it doesn't have to be Luke. My point is that these shows have that card to pull. And I, I just feel like this is where we're at, where it's just like jaw dropping. Admiral I, Akbar returns from exile in the Book of Boba Fett, book five, and he's fucking ready to cook some calamari. Yeah. And people will be like, oh, shit. And he's like, it wasn't he, a people, trap. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, trap this. I, I, I just feel like people, and I don't, this is legitimate. People are excited about being excited. And, you know, if, if, the, if it's scored correctly and they keep it, you know, they, they do the dummy script pages and the wrong things leak, Right before you cut to credits, if just someone you kind of recognize is there, people will be like, oh, it's that guy I kind of remember. In a less cynical way, I'll put it in this way. It's hard. So I think you think about House of the Dragon, which which I'm very excited for. That's not coming into a world that doesn't really know what Game of Thrones on TV is like or doesn't know what Game of Thrones on TV can deliver in terms of scope, in terms of shocks, in terms of characters, whatever. That's a more complicated and difficult task than because it doesn't have the element of surprise to it. You know, like no matter how different these shows are from one another, Hawkeye is much different than WandaVision. Like 
I think that there is an expectation that it somehow lives up to the highest of highs of the franchise that it's a part of. Um, now, what the like House of the Dragon? Will it take nine episodes before they drop something crazy? Will it take three years before you see something mind blowing that you've never seen on TV before? I don't know. Maybe they'll just try to make a completely different show. But that is, I think, the kind of that's the catch twenty two with doing this stuff that is constantly a continuation of or a variation on or a riff on these beloved things because you essentially are responsible for recreating not necessarily the same thing, but the emotional response people have to it. I agree. Just to put, to put a bow on it of the list that you provided Atlanta. I mean, Atlanta, every year Atlanta has been on TV, both years, Atlanta has been on TV. It's been the best show on TV. And I see no reason for that to change. I'm really, really, uh, really excited about it. And I think the other thing that we should just, you know, put out there as we go into this year where the even, you know, even bigger shows are coming like Lord of the Rings, there is a, there is a third way that I feel like hasn't been fully articulated, which is to say, often we and other people in the media when covering these giant, giant properties have considered them to be a binary choice. Like either this will set the cultural universe on fire and be a huge hit, or it will be a colossal failure, like like Heaven's Gate, but with orcs. Um, which, by the way, I would I would love to see that cut. <laughs> Wouldn't that be incredible? Yeah. The third way, which is less sexy and also incredibly, you know, this is not good for our brand, is that Amazon and these other companies realize, or can at least. Uh, account for literally in their accounting department the success of the people who love this shit are loving it and that's all we need and that's wheel of time or foundation or invasion shows that we've you know barely glanced at because frankly i don't think we're that motivated to we're not that interested Mm -hmm. they are not crossing over in a way that's noisy enough to make us be like i don't really care about fantasy in this way, but maybe this is special or sci-fi in this way, maybe this is special. But from everything we hear anecdotally, people who read the Wheel of Time books, and there are many hundreds of thousands, if not more millions people who've read them, are so happy. They're Mm -hmm. so satisfied with their show. And that might work. And so the same thing might be true of Lord of the Rings. There might be worldwide enough people who are just very, very happy to have elves and rings and Stuff. I don't know, man. People are like, I love those movies a lot. And I love these books a lot. Right. And it's going to be, it's, I, I just think that like, that was sort of the, the, the genius of Dune is just like, it almost overwhelmed expectations because it had such like a distinct uh, perspective and a distinct like artistic sensibility. But if I, I just, I don't think like this is a pretty good Lord of the Rings show is going to be enough for people. You know, well, no, but I do. I, People I, watch like ten hours of Lord of the Rings every Christmas. Like it's become like this, like larger right. than life thing. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I just because I don't remember the movies or they don't they didn't factor much in my life doesn't mean that that is just not a more a, an objectively more beloved franchise than Isaac Asimov's Foundation, which yes, is a book I really like, as I've yeah. said on the show before. But I, I, I'm. I'm cool. I don't reread it every Christmas. I'm cool with it. Um, um, how about you? Did you want to shout out that the um, Masters of the Air thing? Just because I feel I feel like that's something you're definitely checking for that people might not be paying attention to. Yeah, I well, I think a, a, I, I would 
venture to say that a lot of people rewatched Band of Brothers over the last two years, just as they were getting into the HBO back catalog with the launch of Max, and they launched that podcast, companion podcast about Band of Brothers. The Pacific is very good. I know this sounds weird to be like this. This part of the World War II was darker, but Pacific is a little bit darker than Band of Brothers. So I don't know if that got as much of a, a kind of a revival. But I have very uncomplicated feelings about World War II aerial dogfights. <laughs> you don't find them problematic? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure some problematic stuff came out of a, as a result of it. I, I, did, I would rather they had no reason to do it in the first place. Let's put it there that way. But I am on record as being like, it would have been fine with me if Christopher Nolan was like, for the rest of my life, I'm just going to make a, a movie of World War II. There, and there, there, <laughs> there, there's something this is an underrated thing about you there's something almost beautifully the colonel and boogie nights about you when it comes to <laughs> a i mean you love lollipops but b your feelings about like super super basic dad shit like yeah. world war ii fighting or who killed jfk like you're just you just love what you love you know what i mean like you are absolutely ready for that yeah, you are. The, D, you are. When it comes to those topics, Chris, you are DTF down to fulminate. But you know, you know what I mean. Day. Like you, you. There yeah. is a couple of things that we share in common. Where if it was just like if the bureau was twenty four seasons, you'd probably be like, yeah, it, it doesn't I'd be matter. thrilled. Yeah. Um, so yes, I'm very excited for Master of the Air, and I'm and I, I don't know if Fukunaga directed all of them or not. Um, but seeing him return to like long form filmmaking in this way is is really exciting. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I dot com slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Andy, this one's I'm going to throw more towards you. What were your favorite albums of the year? This is from uh, a user named First Class Vibe Merchant on Twitter. 
Uh, which I believe, you- and I, I, I have to give that person credit, which is ultimately crediting me because I think I said that on this podcast about someone yeah. as a showrunner. So I, I, I'm, I thank you. Um, what were your favorite albums of the year? And what was the best dish each of you ate this year? Thank you for a wonderful year of pods. Oh my God. Well, okay. Uh, I think that we're recording this just a day after a unrelated podcast that probably ran two weeks ago in your world in the in earth prime but i was basically saying like this was the year where i kind of gave up the ghost about albums like i don't think i could make a top 10 album list i made a top 50 song playlist that that means a lot to me but albums that i love this year probably the most listened to love debut album is by a band called ducks limited ducks ltd they made a, a phenomenal album called modern fiction this is just like hits every hits every button and nerve ending a pleasure for me because you could just tell that we love the same bands like the go-betweens and felt and jangle pop brit pop it's just a great great under under listened to record an over listened to record that i loved is polo g this record hall of fame i got (laughs) real into that record this year it is just hit after hit after hit in a very old-fashioned way i love it it is a great sad emo trap rap record from chicago um, and then I talked. I, I talked about this the other day on the on the show as well. This this your your most Chris your most dad thing is your love of aerial dogfighting in an uncomplicated <laughs> way. My most just just brand, guys getting after it over the English Channel. <laughs> my 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 most on brand dad thing this year is that the improvisational jazz legend Pharaoh Sanders teamed up with a British producer called Floating Points and the Bucket London Symphony Orchestra and made a record uh, made a record called Promises. And every track is just movement one through movement nine. And it's so good. And it's not like you could grab movement seven where Ferris Sanders puts down the horn and is just like bibbity bobbiting into the mic. Well, the dudes play the same chords in the background. You can't just throw that on your Spotify TL and be like, this was the other good song of the year. Sorry, <laughs> Charlie XCX. Sorry, Guap Dad 4000. But... Man, I loved listening to it. It really, it really sent me. But otherwise, it's just like a lot of stuff like like churches or Japanese breakfast, people we've had on the podcast who've made records that I really love. But the best representation of the year for me was the is 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 the playlist. Cause like, you know, this is like the Sharon Van Etten Angel Olsen song. Incredible yeah, song. That's but a great song. It was just it was just free floating song that meant a lot to me this year. The idea of like it being 2021 music has kind of evaporated. There are bands that I like found this year that I really liked, yeah. like do- Dog Legs and, and Turnstile and stuff like that. But I haven't really like, I, I I hardly am like, oh, this album came out in September, and I will like I will say that this is my favorite. Uh, as far as the dishes goes, it's funny. 2021 started with me nearly burning my house down trying to make a pan <laughs> sauce for a pork chop, but. <laughs> I really enjoyed cooking. In retrospect, we should have known. <laughs> yeah. I uh, I really enjoyed cooking with my wife, Phoebe, this year. Uh, even if the, you know, I wouldn't say we were like winning any Michelin stars, but I really had fun eating at home with her and cooking in the kitchen and kind of dividing up duties and, and making w- the best of what we've got. So while I have definitely returned with force to the restaurant industry. Like, yes. <laughs> much like a Kool-Aid man, like just being like table for all of us. Yeah, uh, but, but Chris, in your defense, the scientific study that showed that 
the only times in restaurants you could get COVID is when you are walking from the entrance to your table. Like that's that right. was really helpful in, under, in in making me feel more comfortable once I said that. I'm like the station 11 guy just like, <laughs> until until I get to my table. The best meal I had in a restaurant this year was probably Girl and the Goat, which is a, a restaurant in downtown Los Angeles. Um, Top Chef alum, yeah. Stephanie Izard's restaurant. She moved yeah. out here. And that uh, I, they had some, they have some pork there that that really needs to be tasted to be believed. God damn, I don't have a I don't have an answer for you. I I try to you know sh- share like all the great spots here in LA, especially like the 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 less like sit downy ones, like the more humble places, like the great mini kebab or whatever. Um, I like to put those up on Instagram just because I love supporting these businesses that are incredible because there's so much good food here. But I don't have a single I don't have a single dish of the year. I don't have like a iPhone app going. I did. I mean personally. I did some great work with Psycho Miso this year. Uh-huh. Like my favorite light miso. Like I really worked that into literally everything in a way that I'm very proud of. But I, I don't. You know, you know the thing about me, Chris? What? Like, well, in many ways, I'm like improvisational jazz legend Pharaoh Sanders. But the most, the way that I'm like him the most, I think, is that for me, it's just about being present. You know, when it comes, especially with, with food, like it's, I, I, I am there, I'm communing with it, I'm preparing it. I'm, I'm nourishing my family and then, and then I move on and somewhere in the background, the L- London symphony orchestra is, is, is scoring the whole thing. Kaya, did you have a favorite meal of the year? Well, um, I too returned to the restaurant industry with force this year. <laughs> we, we saw, we follow you on Instagram. <laughs> and for me, one of my favorite meals was probably one of the first meals I had back, which was at this Vietnamese fusion restaurant in Redondo Beach called Little Sister. Um, Little Sister. That also has a pork dish that is very, very good. I have to say, I, I, what you're just saying, Kai, is so right because for as much as we are all now bunkering back down again in a terrifyingly familiar way, this was the year that I think many people started to peek outwards again, especially during the, the fucking sweet ass three weeks in June when it was over. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I, I declare our <laughs> independence. The, uh, the I, I've I've shouted them out on the podcast before. I don't know how relevant it is to people who aren't on the east side of Los Angeles, but my favorite restaurant in the city is a place That's called 60% Tubaki. of our listenership. It, anyway, it really might. Judging, judging by any time the two of us are in Sunset Junction, I think that's accurate. Um, but a restaurant called Tsubaki in Echo Park that's my favorite, the most wonderful people, Charles and Courtney, go see their restaurant, go visit them. But the reason I bring it up is this summer, we made a reservation to eat outside there, and it was the first time we went out to dinner with the girls. Um, this is also before either of the kids could be vaccinated. And my older daughter was like, I, you, know, you know the part when, when, when Neo is like, why are my eyes like this? And Morpheus is like, you've never used them before? Yeah. This was my child <laughs> with food? Because in restaurants, the food is better because they use salt you and know, butter. And, other, yeah. and and so she was almost weeping. And she was like, this is so good. This is the best meal I've ever had. And then she quietly looked, turned to us and said, thank you for ordering so well. I was like, it, was, it was a beautiful moment. And then two weeks later, she's just like nose buried in you know, volume eight of a fantasy series that I don't understand. But I find out later is mostly about wizards killing each other. So... Yeah. Andy, the next question is from Call Forbin. And this is a tough one, but I think I have an answer on my end. What day were you most excited to get on the pod? 
or what topic were you most excited to discuss with each other? So I think if we keep it to this year rather than right. all time, was GameStop this year when we had Mickey and Conrad from Industry on? Wow. If it was, it was like January because we had them on. We had them on to talk about industry, I believe, in December. Yeah. And then I think that's it there, there it goes. So not to say that we peaked early, but I do think that that was like. That was probably the most excited I've been to talk to two people <laughs> because I, that was the perfect marriage of creative people that were really in awe of in in in. Conrad K and Mickey Downling and they, they do industry and we're, that's such a huge show for us. But to have them come on and kind of blithely explain the GameStop <laughs> stock situation and I still don't understand it, but I just was no. like, we really are here on the front lines reporting. So I think um, trying to remember back, like it's it's pretty exciting days when we have a big guest. Like there's a little pep in our step. Those are the days Shouting back to the first question that we prepare. Sometimes a Google Doc is shared. And by a Google Doc being shared, I mean Chris has written questions in a Google Doc that he sends to me. And then the next morning he says, hey, have you had a chance to check out that doc I sent? And then an hour after that, I say, oh, cool. Let me see if I can download it. And then maybe I ask how to do Google Docs. And then I put two questions in it. So that's basically how it works. But those are fun days. And and then the first know, we, question is, this is more of a statement than a question. <laughs> yeah, and I'll take my answer off air. Um I can't believe we had Ethan Hawke on the podcast this year. Yeah, Ethan Hawke and Kate Winslet were just pretty, they, that they were was, pretty incredible experiences. And that was just a couple months apart. That was like February and April. And uh, that that was that incredible marriage of like people we are fascinated with, we are fans of. We can't believe we got the chance to talk to them. And then they turned out to be A-plus guests also. Mm-hmm. That was really fun. Um Barry Jenkins was amazing because we just worship his artistry. And then it was incredible to have the opportunity to talk to him about that. But I'll also say that the best times for me are when we are both genuinely just excited about something. Like it's, it, it is what we, why we do this, not just podcasting, but why we wanted to review records 20 years ago and, or whatever other creative pursuits we've had over the years. It's, it's mainly to be able to share exhilaration and enthusiasm and so um yeah succession coming back was was significant but recency bias but like just the other day when we were like we fucking love station 11 and we're just gonna clear out an hour to do the first three episodes yeah like old school style that was awesome i can't wait to, i hope you meet my enthusiasm when i introduce the top 10 aerial uh battles of 1943 pod oh, that i'm gonna be doing <laughs> it's gonna be a great pod i i do Binge kind of want to experience it as a, <laughs> can I experience it as a fan? Can it be like that one solo pod that you did? When <laughs> did this guy was, banked left? <laughs> like, no! Like, what if you were just dictating YouTube, like narrating YouTube clips? Honestly, no, uh, do, do numbers. I think it probably would. Uh, Andy, let's do, do two more before we, we let everybody go have a healthy and happy holiday. Uh, if you could magically, this is from Max. If you could magically will into existence a get back style eight hour documentary about the making of another album, what would some good options be? Max would pick Exile and Main Street or Rumors. Oh, yeah. Great. Uh, though he's not sure if either would be arable on uh, Disney Plus. Oh, th- this is, I love this question. I would love to answer it and then also answer it again in two weeks when I've had more time to think about it. Um, Exile and Rumors are great. I would maybe argue that. Tusk 
would be even more fun because they were all then they were super famous and totally insane and Lindsay was just banging on Kleenex boxes in his house and I just feel like that was more extra but for me from our lifetime as music fans and again this is not necessarily the best albums but the ones in which just being witness to the creative or just debaucherous process would be fascinating and illuminating I think the only two answers are um Kanye West making my beautiful dark twisted fantasy in Hawaii with the thing over the board saying, what would Mob Deep do? And yeah. just like flying in every rap legend of our life to do the best work of their lives under this, you know, the most beautiful setting imaginable. Two would be Oasis recording Be Here Now. I was going to say, 97. yeah. <laughs> because that album is still generally unlistenable. It's just like, Siri, what does cocaine sound like? And uh, I just feel, I mean, I say this because it's such a, we love, Britpop, and I just think that would just be an incredible document. That said, nine hours of watching four people just grinding their teeth, being like, think a bit bit louder, eh, mate? Like right. that, that like, probably would be Anyone seen Liam? <laughs> yeah. I just don't, that, in thinking about it, it, it would probably be have been more fun to be making the record than to be watching people make the record. Right. Um, I would probably go with it, this isn't as dramatic, but I would just be so curious to see the process is is Illmatic, uh, just because mm. Nas was this ascendant prodigal talent, and he was being shepherded by five or six of the best producers that have ever lived, and the kind of like awareness that there is something very special happening. I, I yeah. that's been talked about a lot, but if there was ever eight hours of them making like represent. <laughs> or or halftime, I would be pretty excited about that. I, I also think, and this isn't specific to this, but I feel like because she's so such a completist, this probably exists. I don't know what it would even mean to for it ever to come to light. But in the superstar economy of pop music now, mm -hmm. I'm specifically thinking of someone like Taylor Swift, they are constantly trying stuff, getting sure. together with people, writing with people, doing co-writes, seeing if something sparks. And you know, when it, especially with someone like, like Taylor Swift, when it works, she finds these like lifelong soul brother connections and like in Jack Antonoff or, or, or Aaron Dessner, but all the dozens that didn't quite click for various reasons. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I'm, I'm very fascinated in the, it's almost old fashioned, but everything old is new again. The kind of the big business of pop songwriting where you end up with someone like, like Caroline Polachek, who great singer songwriter just has a Charlie XCX song. Pitchfork just named her new song, best song of the year. But the first time I heard that name wasn't from the band she was in, which I think was Chairlift. It's that she wrote she wrote a song on Beyonce's record like 10 oh, yeah. years ago. Yeah. How does that happen? Right. That's so interesting to me. And then they have their own career. And, and what is the, what is that? What are those interactions like when someone is the person just being like, would you consider this? That That's a behind the scenes stuff that that's interesting to me. I, I don't, we're of course giving total short shrift to any like rock band of the last 30 to 40 years who had a get back ish time, you know, like let's yeah. just, let's get everyone back. I mean, that, well, that's I think the there's this thing version, where it's like, there's a lot of, you know, when, what was the meeting people is easy about the, was that the mm -hmm. time after okay computer or there's a lot of documentation yeah. of bands from the last 20 years because it's become Great a lot point. more, you know, accessible to just constantly kind of, digitally archive every moment that happens. Whereas with Get Back, you're like, 
well, I don't understand. They just rolled the camera on this like nonstop. This is amazing. So it, I, I think it's a little bit like where would the cameras not have been is the question, I, right? I think that's a great point. I also think that anything with the Beatles as real people is going to be just inordinately interesting to a large portion of planet Earth. But the, 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 the sort of the special sauce that makes Get Back interesting to everyone is I know that song. I love that song. My parents know that song. My kids know that song. The camera was rolling in the moment when that song went from not existing to existing. Yeah. What is what does that look like? It's like it's like rolling tape uh, in the Garden of Eden. Like that's incredible. And I don't know how much of that will be shared again because I don't because to your point, the cameras are always rolling. And so people are behaving as if they're always rolling and they control whether it is ever shared or not. This is the last question from James M. Which 2021 TV show, film, or miscellaneous piece of media would you compel each other to consume by executing a best friend entertainment mandate knowing that they would not otherwise seek it out? Oh, everyone knows my answer. Yeah. What is it? If I can force you to watch cartoons, bro. Like, (laughs) I I still... I'm such an evangelist for Bluey, the best show on television that people don't watch unless they have children. I implore people to check it out just to feel alive and also to understand just how something so humble, episodes are seven minutes long, it's about Australian dogs, manages to be the most emotionally compelling and beautiful show I've ever seen and also the most directly influenced by Monty Python. Uh, It's it's a marvel. And I I just don't, I don't see it happening for you, Chris. I don't see it happening for you unless, (laughs) unless I really push on the dog fighting angle, which is more popular with you than I realize if used in a different context. It's going to be something for me. It's going to be something from the Taylor Sheridan universe. You did try Mayor of Kingstown, which I appreciate. But I can't in good conscience tell you to watch Yellowstone this season yet. Maybe if it gets better at the end, but uh, it's pretty. It's it's a little bit of a tough hang this season. So I'll give it some thought. I mean, the, the stuff that I like that you haven't seen yet, I'm sure, you know, like, it's like you'd like Motherland. You'd like, you know... Well, Midnight I think you'd Mass, like Narcos you're... if you if you watched it all, you know. But you were making a pretty compelling case for Midnight Mass to me. I don't think you could rock with that, honestly. Ultimately, you said after an episode or two, you thought I could. I just think it's it's just too tough with the the horror stuff for you. Yeah, yeah, it would see, be really but, hard. But it, look look how sweet that is. Like he see he's looking out for me. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, Let's wrap it up there. Uh, It's been another wonderful year of podcasting with you, Andy. It's been so great to hear from people uh, in so many different ways about uh, listening to us. I'm so glad you guys have been here with us through the whole thing. Um, And we can't wait to bring more fun pods to you next year. Uh, We'll be back early January. We'll be doing more Station Eleven stuff. And then it really starts to pick up. I mean, there's no no rest. So the TV shows click in really in mid-January and they don't stop. Do you know what slipped off our radar? What? It's our 10-year anniversary. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. In January. <laughs> well, we maybe we could do this something to celebrate. T- 10 years. 10 years. Um, Shout yes, out to David Jacoby for, for putting us together in the first place. The thing is, I don't know what we'll do because I would never ask anyone to listen back. I don't think you know they can. I mean? like, they can't find the old stuff, right? That's, let's hope not. Um, no, this has been... This, this, we said that. I think I said this at the end of 2020, but it's no less true in this year. This, this podcast is a fucking beacon for me. I love being able to do it. I love being able to do it with you. I'm so grateful to our listeners and to Kaya. Thank you for being. We couldn't the do more, this show without Kaya. The most important ang- point on the triangle <laughs> it is this show. Um, is that black box with Kaya McMullen written across it? <laughs> good humor, good cheer, great producing, 
and just thank you for always being there for us. And uh, thanks to our listeners. So we'll uh, talk to you next year. Everybody have a great new year and uh, stay safe. Happy New Year, Baranskis. Let's have a better one. Maybe. <laughs>